Welcome to podcast number 27 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. And our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. For this podcast, we're heading to South Africa to learn about the most senior Australian killed in the Boer War, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Edward Ernest Umpleby. Joining us on the line from Sol Plyke University in South Africa is Dr Garth Bennyworth, who's the Head of Department of Heritage Studies. Garth, many thanks for joining us today. Only a pleasure, David. Now, and thank who, you for the opportunity. No, thank you for joining us. And who was Lieutenant Colonel Charles Edward Ernest Umpleby? On the one hand, the Colonel was the highest ranking Australian who died in South Africa during the South African War, as we know it, or the Anglo Boer War, as it's more widely known. However, he joined the militia garrison artillery at Warrnambool in June 1881 after numerous promotions and extensive training and education in Australia and England. And he reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in 1897. At that time, he was commanding the Western District Garrison Artillery. At the outbreak of the South African War, Humphrey was nominated by Victoria's Minister of Defence as one of four special service officers to serve in South Africa. So he was one of the first to sail to South Africa, disembarking at Cape Town in 1899, shortly after the outbreak of the war. And he went on to join uh, Lieutenant General Sir F.W. Forrester Walker's lines of communications headquarters in Cape Town on the 9th of December 1899. He was a linguist, so he briefly served as a press censor. However, obviously he wanted to get to the front, as most professional soldiers would. And he then applied to join Lord Methuen's army at Mortar River Station, which is approximately 940 kilometers north of Cape Town, near Kimberley. And he was a, he was approved, so up he went by rail. And once he was there, he joined Colonel Barker, who was the officer commanding of the Howitzer Battery. Now, Amphibie, by background, was an artillery person, so artillery would obviously be the best choice for him and the one he'd seek out the most. And this particular battery was going to play a significant role later during the campaign around that area. However, for two months, sitting at Mordor River Station, the Boer forces were approximately eight kilometers away or so at most, and four kilometers at least. He spent two months watching the artillery and playing a role in it, shelling the Boer positions around Marcusfontein. This is obviously before the relief of Kimberley in February 1900. So during that December to February period, very much a static sort of role. The forces are being built up. The armies are being built up to launch the invasion of the Orange Free State Republic and lift the siege of Kimberley, by which point Lord Roberts and Lord Kitchener arrive in Water River. So in February, mid-February 1900, the operations commenced to lift the siege of Kimberley, initiated by Lord Roberts. However, Umphilby, as he records in his letters, um, some of which actually were bought recently by a colleague of mine, and actually in Bloemfontein, uh, on the public auction, he records in his letters, you know, his frustration at actually watching 
this uh, this huge sort of military maneuver taking place, which has monumental sort of historical proportions. Um, and in his particular case, he's he's left behind at 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 Border River Railway Station. And to put that into perspective, I mean, Border River today is a railway station with a grain silo, a hotel, a bar, and probably half a dozen buildings. So it's you know it's it's, it's not really a major centre at all. So I'm probably sits here and he watches this entire this entire campaign sort of taking place, and he actually says, "quote unquote." Some men have luck thrust on them, and others have to look on. The Caesar Kimberley is lifted on the 19th of February 1900. He catches the first train to be run into Kimberley, which is loaded with supplies for the city. There he observes, obviously with the artillery officer's eye, firsthand the effect of the Boer artillery on the garrison. He made it his work to speak with the artillery personnel about the experiences during the siege. Met with the commanding officer, Colonel Kekowicz, and personally inspected the fortifications, entrenchments, and and all of that that went on during the siege, you know, as the special service officer from Victoria. Now he had complained that some men have luck thrust them, and others have to look on. So his luck or his his misluck then changed. On the 28th of February 1900, he left Border River with his orderly, Private Wybrow, and Wybrow's an interesting character. He actually served in the First World War. Nevertheless, they left to join Colonel Barker's artillery, who were then camped at a, on a farm called Osfontein, which is near Paderbach. Paderbach is approximately 40 kilometers to the east of Kimberley, near Bloemfontein, and Paderbach was a, was a major battle, which had happened where Roberts had defeated Cronje's army, capturing 4,000 Boer prisoners after a 10-day, two two-week battle. And Amphobie joins the army while it's busy replenishing itself in preparation for its advance on Bumpentain, the capital of the Orange Free State. So his duties, Amphobie's duties, were leading supply convoys up from Model River Station, approximately 40 kilometers away, and you know, heavy rains and, and all of that, and... May, really, sort of a logistic role as such, you know, the sort of the spectator on the edges. And you know, Amphibie describes in again in his in his in his letters and so on how him and a Captain Johnson rode over from Osfontein Farm to the one of the main cemeteries or recently formed cemeteries at Paderbach to pay their respects to an Australian officer, Lieutenant Grieve, who was recently killed in action in the battle. Quote unquote. We silently shook hands and, mounting our horses, rode back to camp, each thinking of his home and the dear ones who would miss us if our turn were next. Unquote. Lieutenant Greaves' grave, by the way, is still there. It's in a, in a very well maintained cemetery, and it's a marker to not only the battle itself, but also the individual and Australia's contribution in the South African War. Well, Amphoe was going to get his first and his only action. On the 10th of March, as Robertson's column was advancing towards Bloemfontein, they encountered a Boer force blocking their route at a, at a place called Driefontein, which is also known as Abram's Kroll. There were two farms in the battle, although the British go by the name of Driefontein. And Colonel Barker's 76th and 81st batteries of the Royal Field Artillery provided direct fire support to the infantry attack on the Driefontein Ridge. 
shelling both troops and auxiliary defending the position. Amphibi's duties as Barker's staff officer was to relay fire control orders to these two batteries of auxiliary, that would be 12 guns on the field, and relay these orders and help direct their, their movements and fire control. Barker's artillery opened fire within about 2,500 metres from the Drefontein ridges before they closed to a range of 1,800 metres as the infantry attack was progressing. Firing airburst shrapnel, they, short fire, they sought fire dominance as a shortage of infantry ammunition was materialising during the British attack. At around about approximately 5.30pm and nearing sunset, the artillery moved forward into a hollow less than 914 metres from the nearest Boer riflemen and they reopened fire. Barker and Amphilby and Major Onslow dismounted and initially stood together. Some Boer riflemen lay concealed in a ridge, commanding this hollow and open fire, raining a fusillade of bullets onto the batteries, described by Barker as, quote, terribly severe outburst of rifle fire. Amphilby, who was squatting or sitting on an anthill next to Barker, looking at the Boer position through his field glasses, was hit in the liver by a bullet. He was taken to a dressing station on the battle site and the following morning he was moved to a nearby farmhouse which still stands to this day which then became a field hospital for the British 6th Infantry Division who had taken part in the action. Due to the high number of wounded Lord Roberts decided to leave them behind at the field hospital knowing that the Boers would not attack the place or interfere with it which they didn't. To, pre- to resume his advance on Bloemfontein. Now, Amphibi suffered much. In fact, there's quite there's, there's a number of telegrams that were sent from that particular field hospital. It's incredible to think this is the global network of communications that you've got this telegraph wire that's rolled out all the way behind the British Army, all the way back to Mod River Station or Kimberley, then connected up to Cape Town and then on the transatlantic cable to London and then from there to Australia. Nevertheless, the telegrams were sent and Amphilby, in fact, sent some to his family. He sent one to his wife and reassured them that he was, quote, unquote, doing well. Nevertheless, I mean, his position deteriorated, and he died just after 1 a.m. on Monday, the 12th of March, 1900. He was survived by his wife and two daughters. Now, the wounded who... The wounded who died in this field hospital were buried a few hundred meters behind them. And in 1989, I located that particular burial site. It was completely overgrown, completely neglected. In fact, it had never been maintained until approximately a year ago, which was 100, almost 120 years after the event. And a recent landowner bought the farm a couple of years back, Mr. Sebastian Swane. And he actually fenced the site off at his own expense. I went there in 2017 and found that animal activity had actually burrowed into the graves and exposed you know, human bones, which I personally reburied. From there, I, I, I obtained the support of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission uh, through their South African office. They restored the burial site and they restored the graves and put up the appropriate markers and so on. And through public subscription, through some friends and colleagues in Australia, we very quickly raised a, an amount of money which was appropriate to build, construct and erect on the site a memorial that lists all the names of those who 
are buried in the cemetery, all seven soldiers, six British and Lieutenant Colonel Humphrey, the highest ranking Australian to die in the war. But we also recorded uh, the names of Trooper Abrams, who's New South Wales Mounted Infantry, who's missing in action and has no known grave on the battle site. So that's his memorial too. And that was unveiled on the 12th of October, a, few, a couple of weeks back, uh, through a ceremony that is, uh, was organized by the Friends of the War Museum in Bloemfontein, of which I'm chairperson of council. And we had a ceremony there, and the Australian High Commissioner to South Africa, Miss Keita Kamath, she joined us, and together we laid some wreaths and put an appropriate memorialization in place for the colonel and his comrades who were buried in the felt. And, and Garth, is it our understanding is that the 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 site where the commemoration was held uh, two weeks ago is actually the burial site of the wounded, which was near the farmhouse that you've just described. Is that correct? That is correct, David. The farmhouse is it, it's still there. It's an original. It's an original building. Um, there's been a few adaptations to it. And then behind the building, uh, to, to its rear as such, approximately 300 meters away is this is the cemetery, or what was the what was a burial site, and which is now a cemetery. Mm. And is the cemetery which has, there, which, which, has which, which has the memorial that uh, that was that was unveiled two weeks ago? Yeah, and 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 at the time, of course, during the Boer War, the Australians who fought in the Boer War. Australia was not yet not yet a federation, so they were from the different states. But is it a formal Commonwealth War Grave site now? Well, it will become that. Um, it was, as, as, as I mentioned, a, a, a completely forgotten and neglected site. In fact, it was faced with destruction. I mean, it was completely overgrown by vegetation. You know, if, if one wanted to try and view the graves, you literally had to hack your way through dense vegetation to get to it. And even then, in some cases, it was impossible. So the graves the graves were at complete risk of destruction. Um, and as mentioned, even when the vegetation was cleared by the landowner, or the current landowner, a couple of years back, I mean, animal activity had, 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 had removed and exposed you know, human bones, you know, femur bones, arm bones, you know, parts of teeth and things like that. Um, so it was a complete shambles as such. Um, that is now that is now a completely different kettle of fish. I mean, it, it has been fenced. It has, and we've got, we're looking at actually raising funds to get a more permanent sort of steel fence or you know, brick fence around it, yes. as opposed to just a farm wire fence. So there's that. Um, however, the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, I mean, they've, they've, they've taken it on. Um, they've, they've done the necessary restorative works to the graves and would maintain it from here onwards. And the memorial is there. It's a permanent marker. We have the support of the landowner. And yes, so there, 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 are, there are things happening. And one of those is we're also going to be looking at putting up granite plaques that actually tell the story of the site. Mm. So there's not just a memorial you know, listing the names of the dead, but there's actually some historical context for anyone who might wish to visit it. Now, when when Umpleby died, he left a widow and two daughters. Do we know of any surviving Correct. family today? Well, he left he left the two daughters. So the name has continued, but obviously it's continued from either siblings that he had or other parts of his family, not not a direct line as such. Mm. 
I am aware of a, of a Mr. Hugh Foster in Melbourne who is a descendant. I met him in 2011, I think it was, and he had an interest in he had an interest in the family. I'm also aware that there is a Lieutenant Colonel Umphelby retired, um, who would be a connection, yeah. and someone presumably in the family decided to sell off Umphelby's effects. So someone presumably in Umphelby's family about eight or nine years ago decided to sell off his effects on public auction. So there was letters and his rifle and various other things that were sold. And a friend and colleague of mine in in South Africa actually bought a number of those items. And at the um, unveiling event that we had two weeks ago, there was a particular sort of a valise or sort of toiletry bag, which is much like a sort of a small leather suitcase embossed with Umphelby's name, he had that in his collection and he actually brought it to the site. Goodness. And that would have, we, we presume, would have actually been with him when he died. So in a sense, the circle was completed. The, the Australian War Memorial may have some references to, to Umphelby, but can, where can people go to find out more about him? Well, the, the, I've, I've, I've done the, I did the circuit in Australia um, in terms of research around Umphelby. The Australian Memorial in Canberra, they do have him on the, on the wall of remembrance. His name is there, and that really is about it. Um, there's, there's no, there's no real information at all. I mean, if you go to Fort Queenscliff in um, near Geelong, yep. where Umphelby was the officer commanding, uh, the Fort does the, or the museum at the fort does have some information about Umphelby, which was really put together by myself and Jason McGregor, who is an honorary curator there and who played a role in raising the funds for the monument or the memorial. So there isn't really actually anything at all, um, other than what might, what you might find on the internet, mm. which is a pity, really, considering that this was Australia's highest ranking officer to die in the South African War. Dr. Garth Bennyworth, thank you so much for your time today. Only a pleasure, David. That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to the podcast on our Facebook page. We're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave a review. Finally, if you're interested in sponsorship or support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. And you can also support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanks for your service. Thanks for listening.